Indeed, the, uh, the name of Jesus is both beautiful and uh, powerful in the life of those who have come to know him. And uh, I am so grateful that I know him. I hope that you know him. And it's his name that we want the world to know, right? Our church exists because we want to help people become wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ who know him and make him known. That's why we exist as a church. Uh, that's why we're here, and uh, we are so glad that you are here with us today. Um, you're joining us on a special Sunday. Today is uh, a Sunday where we are beginning to push kind of for the, the, the finishing strong of our Make Him Known initiative. Uh, two years ago, we started a campaign that we called Make Him Known, and during this campaign, we have chosen to reemphasize our disciple-making mission as a church. We have asked the church to fully engage in making Jesus known here among the people in our church, near for people in our community but not, not yet connected to our church, and everywhere around the world where people don't know Jesus, right? So we want to make Jesus known here, near, and everywhere. And we have challenged our church for the past two years to connect and serve and give uh, like they never have before. If you remember, uh, two years ago, if you were with us, um, we kicked off this campaign and we, we said, okay, we're asking the church to fund this Make Him Known vision. And we set a financial target for our church to try to raise $4.5 million over the course of two years. You might remember this little graphic that we put on the screen back then. And we, we said that we wanted to use that $4.5 million to hit a three-part financial target. Um, we said we wanted to use $2.3 million of it to really make Christ known here, meaning among the people who are in our church, the ministries who are already here, funding our operational budget, um, you know, funding our existing ministries and staff, plus adding some new ministries and staff. We also said we wanted to use $1.7 million to reach people who are near but not yet connected to our church, and we needed to make room for people, so we built this auditorium. Uh, we turned the old sanctuary, remodeled it into the chapel. We added on over at UBC East a lot of things there to make room for people to come and hear the gospel and connect with Jesus Christ. And we said we also wanted to use a half a million dollars for ministry everywhere. That, that meant we were going to double our missions giving over the course of these two years where we wanted to establish new missions partnerships and begin new mercy ministries for local outreach and things. And we set a goal again to raise $4.5 million by the end of 2023. Well, the church responded in a major way to the Lord's leading. In October of 2021, we had a commitment Sunday, and you might remember this Sunday, um, we announced to the church that the church committed $5.1 million, um, you know, to, that they would give that over the next couple years. Well, here was the good news that I got to announce back in July of this year. In July of this year, we hit that $5.1 million mark, which was glorious, but as of this past uh, week, I want to tell you, as of this past week, now by God's grace, the church has given $5.5 million towards the Make Him Known vision. Can we praise the Lord for that? Yeah. Praise the Lord for that together. Um, you know, how many of you guys were, were with us back in the fall of 2021 when all that kicked off? Just hands up real quick if you were there. All right. So that's about half of you, which means the Lord has you know, brought new people to our church since then, reaching people who are near but not yet connected to our church, right? So we praise the Lord for that. But all this financial giving and the support from the church, it means this. It means we are in a very good financial position as we come to the end of this campaign. Uh, we have, because we're in that position, we have the opportunity to do something unique and meaningful as we cross the campaign finish line, okay? So here's what we're gonna do to conclude the Make Him Known campaign. Today um, and through the rest of the month of November, I'm going to preach a sermon series called Mercy. And in this sermon series, it's going to be all about making Christ known mercifully. If you see the, the subtitle of our sermon series, we're talking about making Christ known to the most vulnerable among us, right? Showing compassionate care to the most vulnerable. So each week in this series, we're going to be highlighting a dip, different group of people who need the compassionate care of Christ. Today, we're going to be talking about showing mercy to the preborn. So I'm just giving you a heads up on that right now, that if that's a very sensitive topic in your life, or if you have little children in the room with you today, like we mentioned last week, this subject matter we realize can be very sensitive. So parents, be discerning with your kids in the room. If any of you need to step out now, you know, is the time to do that. So feel free to do that. But today we're talking about mercy 
toward the preborn. Next week, we'll talk about showing mercy and compassion for the persecuted around the world. Uh, the next week, we'll talk about mercy toward the orphan and the widow. After that, we'll talk about mercy toward the poor. And then we'll wrap it up with a sermon on um, showing merciful care to the displaced and the refugee. And so that's where we're going in this sermon series. But also during this sermon series, each week I'm going to preach. And then after I preach, we're going to bring on stage a ministry partner that we want to highlight and make you aware of and give you an opportunity to step in and get involved with. So we're going to be doing that today uh, with a ministry called Hope Rising. And they are working strongly in our area to support um, mothers who are pregnant and promote life in our city. And so um, that's where we're going today with this sermon series. Uh, by the end of this sermon series, here's what I'm going to ask of you, and this kind of ties into our unique opportunity. Uh, two things I'm going to ask of you at the end of the series. I'm going to ask you, where is the Lord calling you to be involved in mercy ministry? Right, you're going to hear five different topics. You're going to hear a handful of different ministry opportunities through this series. We know that not everybody can do every single thing that we talk about, but I believe that everybody can do one thing. Everybody can choose some way to get your life involved in partnering with Mercy Ministry for the sake of the gospel, right? So we are going to ask you at the end of the series, where is the Lord leading you to be involved in Mercy Ministry? And the second thing we're going to ask you is to make a generous financial gift to help us finish strong in our Make Him Known uh, campaign. We're going to have a Finish Strong Sunday, which is going to be on December the 3rd, that first Sunday um, of December. And here's what's going to happen on that Sunday. Every dollar that comes in during that week, we're going to give 75 cents of it straight towards paying down the mortgage on our new building. And we're going to use 25 cents of it to give to the ministries that we highlight throughout this series, right? So just know that that's coming. Prepare yourselves, prepare your heart. Uh, some of you may be in a spot where you can make a very generous financial gift, um, planned or unplanned. Some of you maybe have never given financially to the work of the Lord before, so you may, may take your first step in giving and joining in, a, uh, partnering with us for the sake of the mission. Whatever it is, we just wanted to let you know that that, that uh, finished strong offering is going to be taken on December 3rd, so start praying about that and thinking about that as we consider how we can make Christ known mercifully in our world. Today, as we kick off this series, I want to talk to you today about showing mercy to the preborn. As we work through this service today, here's how I want to work through it. And really, this is going to be the format for all the messages in this series. I want to talk first about why this topic matters. Second, what the Bible has to say about it. And third, how we can respond, right? So why it matters, what the Bible has to say about it, how we can respond, after we go through that, then we're going to bring our ministry partner up on the stage to uh, share some things with you. Again, that ministry will be Hope Rising today, and you'll hear more about them later. After they share, we'll have a time of prayer as a church, and then we'll conclude today's service by taking the Lord's Supper together and remembering Jesus together. So that's where we're headed. Now, all that being said, let's jump in today's message and talk about the issue of showing mercy and compassion toward the preborn. I want to start out by talking about why this issue matters. Guys, there are a lot of reasons why this issue matters. Ever since the time of Roe versus Wade, millions of babies have been aborted since that time until now. We are coming close to 70 million children um, whose lives have been taken while in the womb since Roe v. Wade. One in four women in our country have, had to, uh, have been affected by abortion, which means of those one in four women, maybe it's one in four women in our room today. But for every woman that's been affected, we know that that also involves a man. It also involves a family. Our world is drastically impacted because of issues pertaining to preborn life. There are many reasons that I could say today that kind of compel me to speak about this, but I really only have time to focus on two. I want to present two reasons to you, and I want to talk about them from lesser importance to greater importance. The first reason why this issue matters for us to talk about today is because we will soon be voting on it. Right? We are soon going to be voting on this matter of the preborn. Issue one is coming up here in the state of Ohio. We need to vote on it on November 7th. That is just nine days from now. This is obviously a hotly debated topic in our state. You can see the ads on TV. You see the signs when you drive in today up and down our street and on our property. So what is issue one? Some of you may not even know what it is. Here's what it is. Issue one is a proposed amendment to the Ohio Constitution. It's called the right to reproductive freedoms. Here's what it would do. It would establish a state 
constitutional right to, quote, make and carry out one's own reproductive decisions. It would include decisions that have to do with things like abortion, contraception, fertility treatments, miscarriage care, and continuing pregnancy. If issue one passes, it will have horrific effects on the lives of the preborn in our state and their associated families. Let me tell you about this. This is what will happen. Minor, if this passes, minors will be able to have abortions without parental consent or knowledge. That in and of itself will open doors for pedophiles and for sex traffickers to expand their exploitation of women and children without detection. It will end up allowing healthy babies to be aborted all the way through nine months of pregnancy. It will take us further down the slippery slope that our culture has been on for quite some time now, and we have to just face the reality if we continue on this slippery slope, how long will it be before abortions are permitted even at the time of birth or perhaps even after the time of birth in our state? We are sliding down a slippery slope. There is a lot uh, of things that I could say and a lot of... uh, wording in this amendment that needs addressed. I do not have time to address it all today, but here's what we do have. We have copies of the uh, proposed amendment wording as well as some, um, some helpful tools to help you understand its wording. They're all available out at the desk that you can grab on your way out today. Flyers, informational packets, various things. I hope that you will grab those and pay attention to those because issue one is a piece of legislation that citizens of our state will soon be voting on. That's one reason why this issue matters. Now, some of you right away, I I can just imagine, are probably thinking, like, why would we take time on this issue? It seems very political. And UBC doesn't usually address these politically charged issues or culturally kind of highlighted issues. We don't address them often in our Sunday services. So why are we addressing this one? Here's why. It's because we believe that one of the purposes of our worship services together is one of our purposes is to proclaim the word of God and call God's people to live it out, right? In other words, this is the setting for the proclamation of the truth of God's word. This this is, you know, not the setting for addressing every proposed piece of legislation, every cultural hot topic. We're not going to do that. But when God's word has something to say, about an issue, then we're going to say it, and we're going to call the church to live by it. And God's word has some things to say about the lives of the preborn. So that leads to the second and more important reason why this topic matters. It matters not just because we're going to be voting on it. It matters because the Bible talks about it. Okay, this would be an issue worth addressing even if issue one wasn't coming up on a ballot in our state. Because we believe that the Bible is God's word, and if God has something to say about any matter— then that matter matters. And the Bible is clear that God has given life. He is the giver and creator of life, right? Genesis chapter one, verse 27 says that God created mankind, male and female, both created in his image. So every male and female life that God creates bears his image. Because of that, they have dignity, value, and worth. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 says that God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Psalm 100 verse 3 says that the Lord is God. It is he that has made us, not we ourselves. Right? The Lord made our lives. None of us kind of, you know, one day chose to be born. Right? None of us did that. The Lord gave us life. It is a gift from him. And we need to treasure and celebrate and appreciate the gift of life that the Lord has given. Isaiah 44 verse 24 says that the Lord is the one who forms us in our mother's womb. We just talked about this last week in Ruth chapter 4 where we saw how it was the Lord that gave Ruth conception so that she could bear a child. Simply stated, life is given by God. Therefore, life should only be taken by God. God alone has the right to give and take life and to set up. Now, let me say it this way. Indeed, there are absolutely portions of Scripture that teach us when God takes life. Okay? There are times in Scripture where God ordains the structures and the government and the groups of people who are authorized by him to take life. Romans 13 is a great example of this where God you know, gives his purposes for government And one of his purposes is to raise up government to wield the sword and, if necessary, take life 
for the purpose of the restraining of evil, right? But again, these are all things that God has ordained. God is the one who gives life. God is the one who decides when life should be taken. The problem is, is that Satan is real and he has been a murderer from the beginning. I want you to think about how the scripture talks about the taking of young lives. I mean, as early as the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter one, we see that the Egyptians, the Egyptian Pharaoh was out to, to kill all the newborn Hebrew babies, right? So from the time of the Egyptian attempts to kill Hebrew children in Exodus 1 to the times of Molech worship and child sacrifice in 2 Kings chapter 21 to the time of Herod's decree to kill Hebrew children, trying to kill Jesus in Matthew chapter 2, to the time of the pro-choice culture of today, the demonic influence of Satan is all about the killing of children. He loves seeing children sacrificed, whether it's on the altar to Molech or whether it's on the altar of pro-choice culture. Satan is the true enemy of the church today. And and what that means is that he... um, We have to be careful because we can sometimes look at abortion advocates, human beings, and we can forget that there are people who are still made in God's image, you know, worthy of life and dignity and value and worth in and of themselves because they are image bearers. And we have a tendency to turn people who are against us into the true enemy when we need to remember that Satan is really the true enemy and that people who are promoting his causes are simply doing so because they are blinded by the deception of Satan and they need Jesus, right? So don't be... This is a spiritual issue. Do not let yourself be coddled or deceived into believing that this is simply a political issue. It is not. This is a spiritual issue. And spiritual battles require spiritual weapons, which is why we're going to spend some time praying about this today. And it's why we're going to address this topic with the spiritual weapon of the Word of God. Because God's Word speaks clearly about this. And it isn't merely a political issue. It's a spiritual and biblical issue And that's the second reason why this subject matters. So we're not just talking about why the care for the preborn matters. We're also talking today about what the Bible has to say about it. And there are lots of scripture passages that I could focus on today, but I just want to choose one today, and that is Psalm chapter 139. We're going to look at verses 13 through 16. So if you have your Bible today, I want to invite you to take it now and open it up to Psalm 139. Again, we're going to look at verses 13 through 16, and as we look through this text, really, um, whether you're looking at it in your Bible or whether you're just following along on the screen behind me, I really just want to show you two points from the text today, two truths from the text that I want you to see and believe. The first point from Psalm 139 is this, it's that God intricately forms the people he has made. God has intricately formed the people that he has made. Verse 13 says this, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Verse 15, My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. This scripture makes it so clear. God has formed our inward parts. God is the one who has made you wonderfully and fearfully. He has knit you together in your mother's womb. So I want to ask this question directly and forthrightly to the people of God today. Do you believe that life begins in the womb? You have to answer that on your own. Do you believe it? Because here's the thing. I'm talking to, I'm talking to church people here, right? You guys are people who Uh, know the Lord, you value scripture, you're willing to come and give an hour of your day to be able to hear the preaching of God's word. Like you are, you're here because you value God's word. And yet sometimes in our culture, God's people can kind of be wishy-washy about this. Like, do we really believe life begins in the womb or not? Right? And we can kind of get soft on this issue. Do you really believe that life begins in the womb? Because I just want to say like, we believe, we live in a world that doesn't believe that. Many people in our world don't believe that. Some don't to the point where they're going to say that that kicking baby in your womb is not alive. It's just a fetus, right? Rachel and I were at the green a couple months ago, and there were these pro-choice advocates kind of running around the green, getting people to try to sign their petition. These two young girls come up to us, and they start to ask us a bunch of questions. So my feisty wife looks back at them and says, well, let me ask you some questions, right? So she started to question them, and 
talk to them about life and, you know, babies in the womb. And they started to say these types of things to us. It's not a baby. It's just a fetus. It's, you know, it's just a lump of cells. It's not a life. To which my nurse of a wife responds to them and says, well, that's interesting because I do ultrasounds for a living. And what she sees in the womb day in and day out is that there's a live baby in the womb. She sees God's design that life begins in the womb. So I want to ask you today, do you believe that life begins in the womb? Which is actually a deeper question for you to consider today. It's this, do you actually believe God? Because God has told us from Scripture that life begins in the womb. You don't need to be confused about this. Let me give you some scriptural examples that may help settle this for you. In Exodus chapter 21, you can read this for yourself, a baby in the womb is treated as a life that actually has legal rights, okay? Exodus chapter 21. In Judges chapter 13, Samson is called a boy alive even while he's in the womb. In Jeremiah chapter 1, it says that Jeremiah was known by God as a person while he was still in the womb. In Luke chapter 1, John the Baptist is referred to as the baby who leapt in his mother's womb when uh, the Christ child arrived, right? So very clearly from Scripture, it makes it uh, about as obvious as it can be that life begins in the womb. God believes life begins in the womb, so do you believe God? That's the question. Verse 13 said he knit us together in our mother's womb. Verse 14 says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, when we read statements like that, one of the questions that comes up often when it pertaining to the subject matter is, did God fearfully and wonderfully make those who are born with things like physical disabilities or physical deformities? Rachel and I, uh, Rachel has this uncle named Chris, and Uncle Chris has Down syndrome. Let me tell you something about Uncle Chris. Our family and this world is a sweeter place because Uncle Chris is here. In one sense, he's physically disabled. In another sense, we might say he's differently enabled because he has this ability, by God's grace, through the Lord's work in his life, to bring a type of joy and laughter and love into this world like no one else can. And yes, one day, he will have a glorified body when Christ makes all things new in the resurrection of the dead. And so we look forward to that day. But before we get too quick to say there's something wrong with him, let's remember Everybody in this room is going to have a glorified body one day. There's going to be stuff about all of us that changes when we receive glorified bodies, whether your bodily brokenness looks like Down syndrome or whether it's wearing your eyeglasses today or taking your pain meds. The truth is we are all broken to some extent, yet even in our brokenness, praise be to God, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Here's why I'm emphasizing this. It's because sometimes advocates of abortion will suggest that mothers would not want to give life to someone who has defects or disabilities. And here's the problem with that suggestion. Two problems, really. First of all, that suggestion, you may not want to give life to someone with some physical abnormalities. The first problem with that is that it assumes that the baby doesn't have life yet. And we shouldn't even buy into the premise, Right? But the second thing is it concludes that a, a person with any of those conditions is somehow a lesser life. Which, what does that remind us of, right? Nazi Germany? Somebody's not in peak physical condition. They're going to have abnormalities and problems. Might as well just kill them, right? That's Nazi thinking. It's really trying to put humans in the place of God, and it is sin. So we, as people, ought not try to take the place of God. Rather, rather we must affirm that life is given to us by God, that he is the one who knits us together in our mother's womb, fearfully and wonderfully made. Here's the second thing I want you to see from Psalm 139. I want you to also see that God intentionally predestines the people he has made. 
Now, before anybody freaks out, we're not talking today about election and salvation and whether or not you know, the Lord chooses who goes to heaven and hell. We're not going to talk about all that. What I mean is that God lays out someone's destiny before they're ever born. He gives them a purpose for all of their days, whether they are few or many. Verse 16 says that God sees our unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Do you realize this morning that God has intimate, personal knowledge of your life before you were ever born? God knew you in the womb. God knew you before the womb, right? And in other words, he, he planned your life before you were ever conceived. And then in his providence, he used the natural means of human conception and human birth to give you the life that he had planned for you to live all along. So here's what that means. Here's why I'm emphasizing it. It's be, here's what it means. It means that no one in this room right now, nobody in the overflow room, nobody listening online, nobody listening to this later, nobody who has ever lived has ever lived on accident. Every life has purpose and meaning according to God's plan, regardless of what sort of sad circumstances your life has involved, regardless of whether or not uh, you've ever known your birth parents, regardless of whether or not you had good birth parents, regardless of whether you were born with a physical deformity or a, a bodily disability, you are not an accident and your life has meaning because of God. All of your actions in one way or another are part of God's plan for the world. And everything that you've ever done and everything you ever will do will prove to be part of his plan in the end that he's working out for our good and for his glory. Now, here's what I know. This can sometimes be a really hard truth to accept. It can be especially hard when something painful happens to you. It can be really hard when it seems like the Lord may be withholding something good from you when it comes to preborn life. So, some of you in this room have walked through the pain of losing a child in the womb. I pray that Psalm 139 is, I hope it feels like God wrapping his arms around you and loving you and telling you that even that child that passed in your womb is known and loved personally by God. God loves the child you lost. Some of you in this room have made the decision in your past to have an abortion or to encourage a woman to have an abortion. I don't need to spend a bunch of time convincing you of your error but maybe I can spend a moment encouraging you through Psalm 139. That little baby that was in your womb is personally known and perfectly loved by God who knit him or her together in your womb. God loves that child that was in your womb. God intentionally predestines the life of every life that he has made. That's the teaching of Psalm 139, and we must choose to believe what God has said. So we've talked about why this matters. We've talked about what the scripture has to say about it. Now let's talk about how we can respond. And let me just say this as kind of some um, just some foundational statements in advance of response. Like, as God's people, I believe most of us who come here today, I believe that we value God's word. We value the scripture. But God's word matters because we are his disciples. And as Jesus' disciples, what did he tell us in the Great Commission? Go into the world, make disciples, teaching them to what? Observe all that I've commanded you. And that word observe, it doesn't mean to just look at and see in your Bible. It means to observe it and live it out and obey it, right? So God doesn't want us to be people who are hearers of his word. He wants us to be doers of his word. He wants us to put into action the things that we are 
learning to be true about his heart's desires. And so we're going to talk about how this um, affects our lives. Every one of us who are the people of God should be advocates for life. It could look different for you in different ways, but I want to mention a handful of ways. So let's start with the basics. Here's the most basic of all ways when it comes to care for the preborn. First of all, give life to your baby. Give life to your child. Right? God is a life-giving God, and he creates life in the womb, and we ought not fight against God by trying to take a life that he is making. Right? If we choose to fight God, we will inevitably lose So we need to surrender to him and come under his ways and trust that in our decisions of whether or not to keep a baby, like, oh, choose life. So any women in this room, if you find yourself in a spot where you're pregnant and you don't know what you should do with your baby, the the urgent appeal for you is to choose life for your baby. Please do not choose to add death into the life that God has already given you because it will affect you deeper than you understand. It will affect you. It'll affect the family that you have. It'll affect your ongoing future. Choose life for your baby. Maybe the Lord will call you, if you're pregnant, to raise that child yourself, or maybe the Lord will call you to birth that child and then give it to a family who's waiting to adopt a child, but choose life. Men in this room, if you get a woman pregnant, encourage her to give life to that baby. You know, my, my wife works at Hope Rising, the pregnancy center that we're going to highlight here in just a minute. She works there. She does ultrasounds there. She talks uh, with with women who come in and that are thinking about choosing life for their baby or not. She told me last night that she believes that 90% of the women who come into her center and are questioning whether or not to choose life, she believes 90% of them would choose life if they knew that the father was supportive. So men, if you... I've gotten a woman pregnant and you're with her in this decision. Take responsibility, support life. Don't put all the pressure on young women to deal with this on their own. Step into the role that God has designed you to have. And I just want to take a moment here because I know we have a lot of Cedarville students who come to our services every Sunday and I am a Cedarville alumni and things can be a little different for Cedarville students at a Christian university. So let me just say this to you. I know that there are some Cedarville students who are sexually active and, you know, uh, you may come into a situation where you find yourself pregnant. First of all, my prayer for you is that by God's grace you would repent and find the grace of God and the joy that comes with living according to God's sexual design. But if you find yourself pregnant I want to call you to choose life for your child. I know that that will be a harder decision for you since keeping your baby will mean things like probably getting expelled from school and having to delay your college career and all the things that come with having to talk about that in a Christian culture. And I just want to say this to any college student who is facing that now or may face it down the road, like, the life in your womb is far more precious than finishing college or any sort of career timeline that you find yourself on. Listen to the voice of God calling you to keep your child and trust that God will provide everything you need. And you can hear me say this, we will be a church that helps you along the way. Give life to your baby. That's a basic response from the teaching of God's word today. Here's another basic one. Church, we must begin to pray. Let's pray to end abortion. What, you know, we, we talk about ending abortion in our country. Some people think it's unrealistic. Like, what if people would have said ending slave, legalized slavery in our country is un- unrealistic? Like, I don't know about you. Like, I want to see the Lord do for, you know, uh, abortion, what he did for slavery. Let's, let's get rid of all of the, you know, the, the legal parameters that permit it. I believe that the Lord could do it. We should pray that he would do it. We should pray that our state does it, right? Let's pray to end abortion. Let's pray for those who have had abortions. The heartache the difficulty that comes with that emotional trauma that carries with that. Pray that they would experience the life-transforming grace of God. Pray for those who right now are considering abortions, right? That they would 
have Holy Spirit-inflamed courage to choose life and pray for those who are caring for the people who are considering abortion, for people who volunteer and work at ministries and pregnancy centers like Hope Rising and others around our city and state and world. As the Lord leads you, begin to pray. Third way that we can respond, and this is especially on my heart this year, start speaking up. Start speaking up. As Christians, we need to be the voice for those who have no voice. The preborn have no voice, so we must be the voice for them. This week, I have a friend of mine who's been visiting the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C., and she sent me this quote by a man named Martin Niemöller. He was a Lutheran pastor in Germany in the 1930s. He originally supported Hitler, which is kind of unfathomable to us, but that was the culture then. But he eventually saw Hitler's agenda for what it was and Nazi Germany for what it was, and he had a massive change of heart. He became an outspoken critic of Hitler and the Nazi regime, and he ended up being placed in a concentration camp. And he wrote these words that you read as you're leaving the, uh, as you're leaving the Holocaust Museum in D.C. Here's what he wrote. He said, first they came for the socialists and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me and there was no one left to speak for me. Church family, we must not be silent on the issue of abortion. It is the holocaust of our day. We must use our voice to speak for those who have no voice. And the enemy wants to convince us to just stay silent. I'm telling you, the world needs to hear the truth that we know from the Lord. Even if they don't want to hear it, our culture needs to hear it. Who else is going to share it? God's people must speak. So, I'm asking you this year to take a step of faith. Holy Spirit courage to speak and say something in a way maybe that you've never done before. Would you ratchet up your voice in a new and fresh way? Maybe for some of you, it's going to mean that you take a yard sign this year and put it in your yard and you stop worrying about what your neighbors think about it. Maybe for which, by the way, if you want yard signs, I think we got like 50 of them left out in the lobby. You can grab one on your way out, free for you to take. Maybe some of you need to start speaking up on behalf of the preborn when you're at your family gatherings, your workplace, where people are speaking freely about how much they don't care if babies get murdered. How about some of us step up and say, Yeah, we care? And we speak. Maybe some of you have a testimony to share, a story in which God has really worked in your life and something about it, your story revolves around abortion and, and care for the, for the preborn. Speak up in some way. Use your voice. We've already mentioned uh, issue one earlier in this message, but here's another response I want to call our church to do. I want to ask you this year to choose to vote. Choose to vote. I want to say it as plainly as I can say it. If you are a Christian, you need to vote no on issue one. Issue one is directly in opposition to the values of God. It is an attack against God's word, his design. It's really an attack against God himself, saying that the way that God has made the world to work is not good. And in our culture today, like we have the privilege and the opportunity to use our voice through the means of voting. We should take advantage of that. You know, in the scriptural times, they didn't have this opportunity to vote. They just found themselves under pharaohs and kings and Caesars. Like, there's no opportunity to do this. The Lord has given us an opportunity to use our voice to make a difference. So let's use that. Some of you may be confused about voting. You may have thoughts about voting. You might wonder what our church believes about voting. Let me just remind you, earlier this year, our church published a, our elders published a paper called How to Think Biblically About Voting. That is available for you to read and download on our church website, on our resources page. I hope that you will check it out. Um, 
Because we want to be a church that doesn't totally avoid politics. We, we want to support pro-life legislation and pro-life candidates. And let me say, so we vote, right? We go out and vote. But let me say this, like, even when vote results don't go our way, our hope is not lost. Because our hope as the people of God is not ultimately in a piece of legislation. It's not in a particular candidate. Our hope is in our sovereign God. So yes, we vote. And we vote in accordance with biblical principles. But when the results come out, we trust our providential God. We trust our sovereign God. He is working everything out for his glory and for our good. So vote. But remember, the work isn't over when voting day is done. We're not just to vote pro-life, we are to live pro-life, which means we can commit portions of our, the rest of our days to standing for the cause of the pre-born. So consider this last action item. Consider partnering with a pro-life ministry. Consider your ministry. All through this sermon series, we're going to call the church to step into mercy ministry and get involved in different causes. Today, we're asking you to consider getting involved in some sort of ongoing ministry for the cause of life, defending the preborn. That could look different ways for different people. For some of you, it may look like you're going to devote yourself to prayer for the, for, uh, for the preborn. For some of you, it may mean you're going to step in and learn more about the pro-life ministry of our church. For some of you, you may have a heart's desire to adopt a child or to step into the foster care system and to, and to help take on these children, praise be to God, that moms have chose to give birth to, right? Maybe that's going to be your step. Some of you may be called to step into serve at organizations or ministries that are advocating for life in our city, one of which is an organization called Hope Rising, and we want to give you the opportunity to hear from Hope Rising today. So I want to invite Michael Hamilton and Lee Carter to come up, make their way up to the stage um, to share a little bit about Hope Rising. Mike is a, a member of our church. He's also on the board for Hope Rising. Lee has worked for Hope Rising in the past. Uh, she's a member of our pro-life mercy ministry team here at the church. Um, we believe that Hope Rising is making a kingdom impact, and we want you to hear from them uh, about what the Lord is doing. So I'm going to ask Mike a few questions today. And ask, after I ask Mike, then Lee's going to lead us in a word of prayer. And, um, and then we'll move forward with our service. So Mike, three questions for you. Um, first one is, you know, just tell us a little bit about Hope Rising. There are many people here who probably know Hope Rising and are involved, but there's probably a lot of people here who don't know anything about Hope Rising. So just tell us uh, what Hope Rising is. Yeah, thanks, Jason. So Hope Rising's uh, mission statement is to provide life-affirming information and compassionate services to those facing pregnancy decisions. So we're an organization that values life, supports families, and demonstrates Christ's love. We do that through a variety of programs that range from clinical to counseling to educational um, to also just, just mercy, just giving stuff away. We give away a lot of diapers, a lot of formula, uh, cribs, other supplies, any, really anything that, a, that a, a mother, father, and their baby might need. Um, on the clinical side, the most obvious example of that would be ultrasound. So we have fantastic ultrasound capability with state-of-the-art machines at each of our four facilities and wonderful registered nurse sonographers um, who, who, just, who love on the, on the, the clients in that way. Um, so we are, we're in uh, Kettering, Xenia, Huber Heights, and also North Dayton in the Trotwood area. Um, for counseling services, there's really any demographic or, or need that, that, that might need to be met. We have a program for that. Um, one of them I like to mention is our abortion recovery ministry for uh, moms who are post-abortive and are, are coming back from that. Um, we also have uh, one for families who have experienced a miscarriage and need, need help grieving through that process. Um, we have a sexual uh, integrity education program as well, um, which uh, is, it goes out to the schools, uh, junior high and up, in order to, to make the case for them choosing God's design for sexual purity. Awesome. Thank you. So um, we believe in the sovereignty of God. He is always at work in everything, every detail of our lives. But as you look at the way God is working through the ministry of Hope Rising, tell us what, what you see him doing. 
Yeah, so one way to get at that is just through some numbers. So uh, we, uh, Hope Rising served 1,800 clients through 5,000 appointments in 2022. Uh, administered more than 900 ultrasounds, gave uh, more than 900 pregnancy tests. Of those pregnancy tests, 759 of them came back positive, and of those positives, 699 chose chose life. Amen. So praise the Lord. Yeah, praise the Lord. Yeah. So you know that doesn't mean that everybody who walks into Hope Rising uh, is abortion-minded. Many of them, you come in, they they are pro-life. But it's also important to point out that that uh, one out of four women who get an abortion have attended a church service within the previous four weeks leading up to that. So this is a ministry both to those who um, who, are, who are in the church and out of the church just as much. Um, so those services route toward, you know, or I should say, we see God leading people to make decisions to choose life for their baby, but we also want to be helping them to choose life eternal, life abundant. So, um, so other services that, that we've seen God use, uh, we've been able to have 2,200 uh, spiritual conversations with clients um, in 2022. Uh, in last year, we shared the gospel 681 times, and there were 41 people who made decisions to follow Christ. That's, that's one for every 16 times that, um, that we shared the gospel. Amen. We praise so, the Lord for that too. Praise the Lord. Yeah. And then Real briefly, I didn't share this with the first service because second service, you guys are my people sleeping in. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I just wanted to share with you something that, you know, there, uh, most, of, most of the work we do is not quantifiable, right? It's, because it's, it's the Lord's work, and he's going to do that in his mysterious way. But here's what um, Jim Altensee, the head of our men's ministry uh, at Hope Rising, uh, wrote in in a report. He said, a female client came into the Kettering campus, did not want another child, and was strongly leaning toward an abortion, but she was considering keeping, uh, considering keeping her baby since her boyfriend was excited. Uh, they returned for the ultrasound, and they chose life. Um, another one here, just regarding spiritual support, like discipleship services. Um, this was a mother who was learning uh, as a person and as a parent, and she said, my advocate, uh, we call them client advocates, my advocates, uh, for faith and compassion helped me to complete the program and want to grow, and her prayer each week at the end of each class helped me to get through the week. So lots of just really um, unquantifiable, but really meaningful, anecdotal, personal connections with clients. So I'm basically hearing you say this, like obviously you're advocating for women to choose physical life for their baby. You're sharing the gospel, wanting to see people receive eternal life through Jesus. And I think what stood out to me about what you just shared is that there's also some uh, basically discipleship tracks for people to come alongside folks who are new to their faith and, and need someone to walk alongside them, which is, which is awesome. And I know we have several people in our church who volunteer in various ways at Hope Rising, which is, which is wonderful. Um, speaking of which, if people from UBC want to join with Hope Rising in you know, pro-life work in our area, how can we get involved? Yeah, thank you. Well, as you said, many already have, so thank you. Um, but we we need people to be those client advocates, and so um, you know our, we we want to have it be true that every time the doors of one of the Hope Rising centers is open, that there is a client, at least one client advocate there ready to serve. Um, so uh, reaching out through supporthoperising.org or at the booth in the back, we can give you some more information on that. But also the flip side of that is that just because we are open and then able to to serve to advocate for a client who might come in. Uh, when, you know, every time the building is open, that doesn't necessarily mean that we are being flooded with the clients that we believe we should be serving. We know statistically that we are, we are not serving the number of clients that need to be served. When you look at just the number of abortions that are happening and even just the number of women then in the church who are still seeking an abortion. Uh, and so uh, I would just ask that everybody here would, would pray at some point today, maybe right before you eat lunch or something, but just be reminded to pray. We pray that you would, that, that, God, that God would overwhelm Hope Rising staff uh, overwhelm us. That is a problem that we, we want to have uh, just with, with the number of clients that are coming in uh, to serve. Uh, and then finally, serving, you know, just contributing financially um, is, it, it really does make a difference. It is expensive to run the, the correct kinds of marketing plays that we need to do, especially when a lot of those dollars, you know, those decisions in marketing, the algorithms are controlled by people who are, who are extremely pro-choice pro and, and anti-life. Um, it's expensive to run the kind of marketing that we need to do in order to help to get those, those women and dads and, and babies in the door. Amen. Thank you, Mike, for sharing that. Uh, every week, we're going to have somebody come and share on behalf of a ministry or organization. And every week, we're going to stop as a church body and corporately pray over that organization and our involvement, um, you know, for the cause that they are uh, involved in. 
And so Lee Carter is going to lead us today through our time of prayer. And um, as she prays, if you don't mind, just in your heart and in your mind, praying alongside her. You know, you pour your heart out to the Lord. As Lee prays aloud, you pray silently. Um, and we ask the Lord to let, his, to let his heart for life be reflected by us among the people of our city and world. Let's pray. Blessed are you, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, Lord and giver of life, we praise you. We are so thankful this morning for the choice of life that our parents made, but above all, are most thankful for the gift of salvation, this new life we have been given through your son, Jesus. Lord, your word tells us that children are a heritage and a reward not a reproductive choice or a health care decision. We pray that all life would be regarded in this country as created in your image, especially babies in the womb. For you formed their inward parts, and you knitted them together in their mother's wombs. We praise you, Lord, for we are all fearfully and wonderfully made. Lord, make us advocates for those who cannot speak for themselves. All life has purpose in Christ, and by your breath, you have made us alive and hold us in your hand. Father, we have just heard how your people of Hope Rising are working to protect the unborn, ministering the hope and truth of the gospel to the mothers and fathers who come to them, showing mercy by providing practical resources to care for these families and empowering and encouraging them to choose life. Lord, we thank you for these men and women you have raised up at this specific time for this specific ministry to be the voice for the voiceless. And we ask, Lord, that you would raise up many more, maybe even from within our midst. Lord, protect the staff and their families as they labor on the front lines in the fight for the right to life. We ask that you would continue to prosper this ministry, strengthen them, help them, and uphold them by your mighty right hand. Father, we also ask your protection for those among us who are advanced in age. We are commanded to stand up in the presence of the aged, to show respect for the elderly as we revere you, our God. Lord, make us advocates for those who are nearing the end of life, that they would not be cast away or forsaken when their strength is gone. Lord, we know that you alone are our healer and comforter, and we pray that you would heal those here in our congregation who are suffering from the guilt and the trauma of an abortion experience. Help us as a church, to show compassion so that they may find true peace and reconciliation through your Son. And Lord, for those who perform abortions or work at an abortion facility, we pray today would be the day of their salvation, that the scales would be removed from their eyes and that they would pursue a culture of life and not death. We pray for our nation, Lord, that all people would turn to you and your truth. Your word tells us that government is ordained by you and accountable to you alone. Lord, we pray that you would heal our land. Lastly, I pray that University Church, University Baptist Church, would be known as the church who defends the weak and the fatherless, who upholds the cause of the poor and oppressed, who seeks justice and righteousness. May we love mercy, do justice, and walk humbly. Above all, may we be the church that makes the name of Jesus Christ known here, near, and everywhere. Amen. 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 Michael and Lee are going to be back at the uh, table out in the lobby today. If you would like to talk further with them, if you'd like more information about Hope Rising or Issue 1, if you want to take yard signs or informational flyers, again, you can grab those on your way out, especially if you are a person in this room who you're dealing with something personally that's attached to this issue of preborn life, and you just need to talk to somebody, Lee would be a great person for you to talk to. There are people on our pro-life team here that would love to talk with you, pray with you, and care for you. Today, I want to end our time by remembering Jesus and the gospel and grace I want to say one thing so very plainly to our church today, and that is this. Abortion is not an unforgivable sin. If you have had an abortion, 
or if you've encouraged someone to have an abortion, I want you to know very, I want you to know God has grace for you. He loves you. He never stopped loving you. He loves you. There are women in this church who have had abortions and they have found the redemptive power of the grace of God through Jesus Christ. I have prayed with men in this church who have wept their eyes out because in some way they regret actions that they've taken alongside a woman in the past. And those men have been met with the overwhelming grace and forgiveness of God. And you may be here today and you may feel reluctant to partake in the Lord's Supper or you may feel reluctant to even worship the Lord or you may feel like an outsider at church because you feel undeserving of God's love because maybe you aborted your child or you encouraged your girlfriend or your daughter to have an abortion or you worked at an abortion clinic or maybe you've just been a Christian who's been apathetic doing nothing about this for far too long. You may carry a weight of guilt with you today and you may feel completely undeserving of the love of God, but here's the truth. Every one of us in this room is undeserving of God's love. You are in a room full of undeserving Christians saved by God's grace. And God offers each of us forgiveness through Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of our sins. So the church is to be a place of grace, and our church will be one, especially for those who are dealing with the regrets, the regrets and the effects of abortion. So with the forgiveness of Jesus and His grace in mind, we're going to close today by taking the Lord's Supper. Those of you who are serving communion, you can go ahead and take your places uh, where you'll be serving. And in just a moment, um, the ushers are going to come and they're going to dismiss us row by row to go to the particular table where we will receive the bread and the juice. And when you receive your bread and the juice, let me just remind you just to take that back to your seat and prayerfully reflect. And when you're ready... Take the bread and the juice on your own volition. You do not need to wait for me. I do want to remind everybody who's here today that this act of taking the Lord's Supper, it is, it is a special tradition reserved for believers. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, we invite you to come to the table gladly remembering the grace of God. But if you are not a follower of Jesus, you basically have two options. You can become a follower of Jesus today confess your sin, receive the grace that God has given you through Christ's death at the cross and give your life to the Lord and become saved and then you can come to the table for the first time in a meaningful way. Or you can choose to remain an unbeliever. And if that's the case for you, we just ask that you respectfully refrain from coming to the table. This is a tradition for believers. Parents, be discerning with your children. If they are believers, they're welcome to come. If they are not believers, we ask you have them refrain, but talk to them sweetly and personally about what this is representing in the goodness of the gospel. But as we take communion today, we remember that our Lord Jesus Christ had a body. A body that was carried in his mother's womb. A body that was born after Herod tried to end his young life, a body that he ultimately gave up at the cross to pay the price for our sins. And yes, even forgiveness for the sin of abortion is possible through the cross of Christ. So as we take the bread, we remember his body broken for us, and as we take the juice, we remember his blood shed for our sins. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23 through 26 says this, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So, Father, we remember you right now. We remember that you gave your Son. And we remember Jesus, who gave his body and his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Father, we don't just remember you, 
we ask you to give us a deep thankfulness in our hearts for the cross. We ask you to make your grace overwhelm us as we sometimes can get caught up in our sin and our shame and regrets. And Lord, we also praise you that one day, Father, you are going to send your son Jesus to return. And we look forward to that day when we will feast at the marriage supper of the Lamb and that all things will be made new and everything will be made right. So we remember your good work through Jesus in the past and present and future as we come to the table now. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.